your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. The message you are about to hear is brought to you by African Mission Tape Ministry of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Redemption Camp. God bless you as you listen in Jesus' name. Speak on incomparable purity. James chapter 1 verse 17 The Almighty God is absolutely pure. As pure as light because he is light. And there's no shadow at all in him. is absolutely pure light. No shadow at all. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 3, the Bible tells us that the angels are always crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Now, everybody knows that God is powerful. Do I hear amen to that? So the angels could have been crying, powerful, 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 Lord God Almighty. Everybody knows that God is love. We learned that yesterday. So the angels could have been crying, loving, loving, loving God. The Bible says that God is rich in mercy. That if we are talking of wealth, as far as God is concerned, His wealth is in mercy. So that the angels could have been crying merciful, merciful, merciful Lord God Almighty. But instead, God preferred to be called holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Non-stop. So that if we ask God if there is one single word that is most crucial to you, what would that word be? Holy. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13. Says, the eyes of the Almighty God are too pure to behold sin. His eyes are so pure that he can't even look at sin. That is why when Jesus hung on the cross carrying the sin of the world, his father had to turn away his face. 
That's why Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He could not behold sin. God is incomparably pure. And what are the advantages of this to us? This God who is absolutely pure, what is the advantage or advantages to us? Numbers 23, verse 19. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. A terrible testimony of men, but a very good testimony concerning our God. Because he's absolutely pure, absolutely holy, it is impossible for him to lie. Absolutely impossible for him to lie. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 89, Psalm 119, verse 89, he says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. That's why I have good news for somebody here today. Every promise of God for you shall be fulfilled. Because it is impossible for God to lie. Absolutely impossible. If he said it, he will do it. It doesn't matter how long you have been waiting. If he said it, he will do it. I got a letter in my office yesterday. One of my sons said, Daddy, I sent in a prayer request in 1995 that I wanted a baby boy. You prayed and you replied that God had granted my request. He said, I held on to your word. I waited 11 years and one day and the baby boy arrived. If he said it, he will do it. Because forever, O Lord, our word is settled. Because he's a God who is too pure to lie. That's why I am confident that my tomorrow will be all right. Are you confident? And what do I base that confidence? Because he said in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 10, Isaiah chapter 3 verse 10, Say ye to the righteous, it shall be well with him. Let's do something about the echo, please. Circumstances may look like I am sure my tomorrow will be all right. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, my tomorrow will be all right. I know that one for sure. I want to encourage you, brethren, if it is in the word of God, hold on to it. 
it will come to pass. Because it is impossible for God to lie. I mean, I remember the one testimony we had about two months or so ago at the Holy Ghost service here. A brother and a sister came and they said, Daddy, please, we want children. And I was led of the Holy Spirit to say, Okay, what kind of child do you want? As soon as I said, what kind of child do you want? The husband said, a boy. The wife said, a girl. Simultaneously. And I was, as I was led by the Holy Spirit. I said, okay, your request is granted. And they had a set of twins. One boy, one girl. Now, what is expected of us. If our father is incomparably pure and like father, like son, it follows immediately that as our father is pure, so must we be pure. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 16, First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 to 16, he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. How holy, how pure. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Matthew 5, verse 48. He said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Your perfection is not to be measured by the perfection of one pastor somewhere. I regret to say this, but it's not every pastor that is going to heaven. It's sad, but it is written. And if it is written, it will come to pass. How do I say it is written? The Lord said, not everyone who, who said to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom. No, 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 not everybody. Not everybody is going. Not every bishop is going. Not every general overseer is going. Not every evangelist is going. That's why you have to <laughs> take a personal decision. I was sharing with the pastors at the minister's conference. Joshua said, as for me, huh? first of all, me, before we talked about my house, as for me, he uh, didn't say as for us. He said, as for me, I will serve the Lord. As for me, I will do the will of God. As for me, I am going to heaven. He didn't say as for us. Listen, it is written, two people will be on the bed. One will be taken and the other left. In other words, a husband may go, a wife may remain. Or the wife may go, the husband may remain. But if the husband and wife are united, if they are one, in their consecration to the Almighty God, they will not be regarded as two. 
for the two shall be one. Ah. The two shall be one and go to heaven together, or the two can be one and go to hell together, like Ananias and Sapphira. It's a matter of on whose side you are on. How many of you are on the law side? Let me hear you say amen then. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. Matthew 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In other words, if you are not so pure, right, right, true, if your purity is on the outside and not in the inside, you're not going anywhere. I know some of you will jump at that and say, hey, thank you, Daddy. We have been telling these people that what matters is the inside, not the outside. <laughs> Whatever is in the inside, we show on the outside. It will show. When somebody is mad, he's mad on the inside. Does he show on the outside? Oh, of course. Like I was sharing with the ministers, maybe God wants me to tell you too before they come and tell you. In the olden days, how do we know when somebody is getting mad? The hair on the head. We begin to look funny. That will tell you there are several mad people in your offices now. Just all you need to do, take a look at the hair on the head. They, they may call it style to deceive you. It is what is inside that is coming out on the outside. Oh, there's a pastor somewhere here. I saw someone who was leading their choir in one of the countries outside Nigeria. I said, what is this? Can't you tell this boy to comb his hair before he comes to lead the choir? Oh, no, sir, that's the style. I said, style? There is something on the inside. It took them two years to discover what is inside. But it's there all the time. Let me give you an example. This is convention time. We are not going anywhere. We are here to, to enjoy the Lord. And your life is not going to be the same again. I was telling the ministers. Some of you think that, oh, in order to get the youth to come to Christ, we must dress like them, we must behave like them. That's rubbish. You can hear the youth shouting now. The youth want to come up to where you are. Now you are going down to where they are. And they have nobody to copy. They have nobody to look forward to. They want to 
to be decent people. Let me tell you the truth, the real truth. Huh? When the youth dress the way they dress, they are waiting for you to challenge them. They just want to say, Daddy, I want to show you I can be rebellious. And they want you to say, not in this house. The youth love discipline. And now the people they want to be like, the people they are hoping that in future they will become like, those people now are coming down to be like them. And the poor people say, where's our future? They want to grow up. I gave an example. I went to see a family and I was asking the boy, how old are you? He said, I'm going to be 20. And the mother said, ha. I said, what is the ha? He said, he became 19 only a few days ago. But as far as the fellow is concerned, thank God 19 is gone. The next thing is 20. The youth are looking upward. They want to go up, not remain down. And you are climbing down. That must change. That's number one. When I say what is inside, we'll show on the outside. Because we want to talk about purity. Any incomparable purity. What kind of people do you see in the past wearing torn clothes? What kind of people? Mad people. But now what do you see? You see some trousers and some people who get scissors and cut off part of it and they say it is style. What is it? Madness. When you are walking in the street and you see a woman showing you half of her breasts, what kind of woman is that? I, I, that's why I prayed for mercy at the beginning of the service. Mercy. I shared it with the pastors. I said, listen. Some of you elders, you fear your children more than you fear God. You would rather offend God rather than discipline your children. And I gave an example. I said, I saw a girl. I saw the way she was dressed. And I said, ah, my daughter, were your parents not at home when you were coming out? She said, they were. And they saw the way you were dressed. She said, yes. In fact, if I remember correctly, she said, Mama bought the dress for me. I said, how can you walk through the street like this? Don't you know what your dress is saying? Your dress is saying to every boy passing by, I am available and I am cheap. You know what she said? 
She said, thank you, Daddy. I have always known that my parents don't care about me. They don't care. They don't care. So I can, I can go to hell if I want to. They don't care. Say so thank you, Daddy. At least you care. What is inside will show on the outside. It will. And I give an illustration to the pastors. We we'll give it to you too, because we are going to become pastors anyway. I didn't hear amen to that one. Oh, whether you like it or not. Because we are going to take over the world for Jesus Christ. And Jesus needs you. And the time is short. I said, years ago, I brought some Americans when we just started the Bible college to come and help me teach. And then they began to teach my people. Uh, hey, this man is too harsh. You know, he's legalistic. Um, the, the, the journey to heaven is not as difficult as that. Uh, God is only interested in what is inside, not on what is outside. Oh. When I heard, I said, God, I'm in trouble. Because I'm the one who brought these people. So my children will say, you brought them. <laughs> so whatever they say must be true. God, give me wisdom. And God did. He will give you wisdom too. So I went to Yubo. And I bought two oranges. The same size. One is yellow on the outside, the other is green. And I stood before the class, and I showed them the two oranges. I said, of these two oranges, if I ask you to choose one, which one will you choose? They all said the yellow one. I said, why? They said, because it will be the sweeter. How do you know? You haven't tasted it, we haven't cut it open. You don't see the inside. How do you know? They said the outside shows. When I see you walking about, dressed like a harlot, I know what is inside. When I see you walking about, dressed like a hooligan, I know what is inside. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How many of you want to see God? Let me hear you shout hallelujah. When I see you walking about bushy hair, looking like a monkey, I know what is inside. I know what is inside. Let me tell you the truth. 
when a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. How many things become new? Not things. Right from inside to the outside. The worst part of it is some husbands who allow their wife dress like harlots. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I gave the person of the pastors an example. When a house is for sale, everybody is welcome to look into the bedroom, look into the sitting room, look into the because it is for sale. As soon as it is sold, you can't come and say you want to enter into my bedroom. Why? It's not for sale. And yet there are wives who dress as if they are for sale. You are already sold. You are off the shelf. And you see some wife dress showing what belongs to the husband to the world. The problem is that some husbands are so stupid, they don't care. Silly husbands. And then you see some wives. One part of the hair painted red. Center, painted green. Left side, painted blue. What is that lady? Mad. As they call it them in uh, worry, crazy woman. Now, what is the meaning of the word pure? Somebody said, Daddy, you are the only one who can say that. That's why I'm Daddy now. Too big to be caned. I'm big enough to tell you the truth. Because you know what? As the Lord leaves, whatever is going to cost me, I'm going to take many of you to heaven. If I have to tie a rope around your neck and drag you along, we are going to heaven together. How many of you are going with me? Let me hear you shout hallelujah. Now, what is the meaning of the word pure? It has two major meanings. Meaning number one means of a single content. Like when you say pure cotton or pure wool. It means, if I say pure cotton, the only thing you will find there is cotton. Nothing else. When I say pure wool, 
you won't find nylon there. You won't find uh, cotton in what I call pure wool of a single content. Meaning that purity implies singleness of mind. Singleness of purpose. It means reliability. It means trustworthiness. When you say somebody is pure, it means you can trust that fellow. It's not here today, there tomorrow. There is one passage in the Bible that is so illuminating. Genesis chapter 18, verse 17 to 19. Genesis 18, verse 17 to 19. The Almighty God said concerning Abraham, He said, I know Abraham. I know what he can, I know what he cannot do. I know Abraham. Oh, how I wish God would be able to say, I know you. You know, I've always said that one of the reasons why I love dogs, and I have many of them, is because I know what they will do. When a dog is happy, what does he do? He dances. When he's angry, what does he do? He barks. We know what a dog will do. Unfortunately, when it comes to human beings, they are planning to kill you and they are smiling. To be pure means to be of a single mind. The Bible puts it in this way. James chapter 5 verse 12. James 5 verse 12. He said, let your yea be yea and your nay, nay. That's purity. Single content. That when this brother says yes, he means yes. When he says no, he means no. There's no question of that is to say. And you come in, he says, yes, I will come. Then you can go to bed because he will come. Will you do it? He said, I'm not going to do it. Then you know he's not going to do it. Purity, single content. In Luke chapter 9, verse 59 to 62, Luke 9, verse 59 to 62, Jesus Christ gave us an illustration of this. When he said, listen, the moment you have laid your hand on the plow, there must be no looking back. That's purity. Single content. In Luke 16, verse 13, Luke 16, verse 13, he puts it in another way. He said, 
A servant cannot serve two masters. So when we are talking about purity, we are talking about singleness of purpose. One content. I am serving the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going with him all the way. No addition. And I'm telling you, brethren, whatever the name of Jesus Christ cannot do, nothing else can do it. The reason many of us have not been getting full benefits from the Lord Jesus Christ is because we are adding something else to him. It's more than enough. That's what many of pure, single content. But there's another meaning that I'm sure many of us are more familiar with. And that means no contamination. No contamination at all. It comes also from that first meaning, single content. When something else comes in, then it's no longer pure. If I put a little cotton into pure wool, it is no longer pure wool. It has been contaminated by cotton. If I put a little wool, or even silk, a little silk into cotton, the cotton is no longer pure cotton. It has been contaminated by silk. And every little contamination is dangerous. I gave the illustration years ago in one of the books that I wrote called As Pure as Light. I said, if there is a big bucket of absolutely pure water that everybody around there put there because they want to drink it, and then a sister who has just had a baby discovered that the baby had uh, defecated into her nappy. And in carrying the baby out to go and change the nappy, just a little bit of feces dropped into the bucket of water. Very tiny bit of feces. How many of you will still drink that water? bucket of water, plenty of clean water, with one tiny bit of feces in it, it becomes contaminated. No longer pure. In John chapter 14 verse 30, John 14 verse 30, Jesus Christ said, the prince of this world cometh unto me and has nothing in me. In other words, he said, the devil has come and examined me from top to bottom and discovered that I am 
pure, no contamination. In First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-two. First Timothy chapter five, verse twenty-two. Paul was ad advising Timothy and said, hey, "Don't lay hands suddenly on just anybody." He said, don't be partakers of other people's sins. Don't be contaminated by their sins. He said, keep yourself pure. Don't be contaminated. A little contamination destroys purity. There are many of us, Christians, who have believed the lie of the devil that as long as you are in this flesh you can be perfect that's a lie of the devil the Lord Jesus Christ will never ask you to be what he knows you cannot be and he's the one who said in Matthew 5 verse 48 be thou perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let me tell you the truth. There are a lot of great men in the Bible that were destroyed by one little contamination. I will mention two of them quickly before I then take a third one and look at that one in some detail. Take Noah, for example. That great man of God. The one that the Bible said found favor with God. So much so that when God was destroying the whole world, he saved his house, his household. But Noah had only one little problem. How many problems? One. One little problem. And that little problem is that he loves to drink wine occasionally. Just occasional glass of alcoholic wine. Just occasionally, not all the time. Then one day he took one little glass too many. He was at home. He didn't go to a party, so it wasn't that he embarrassed himself. In it. He was in his own tent. And so he took one glass extra. And he became drunk and laid in his tent absolutely naked. The story is in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20 to 25. Genesis 9, 20 to 25. And his youngest son came into the room and saw Papa lying naked on the floor. Hey, look at Papa. 
And so he went out and told his elder brothers, Papa is lying naked in the tent. But because the other two are adults, they didn't want to see the nakedness of their father. So they took a dress, walked backwards, and covered the nakedness of their father. When Noah woke up and heard what had happened, he pronounced a curse on his son. I don't want to go into the details of that curse because that curse is still working today. It's still working today. If I tell you on who the curse is working, you won't like Noah. But you all know that there are certain nations of the world where they, we have, they have all the resources. Everything anybody can ask for, they have it. And yet they are called poor. But uh, that's uh, another story. So let's go into that. And then there is another great man, Lot. Lot was a great man of God. But he had only one little problem, just like Noah. He loved a little glass of wine once in a while. Once, just once in a while. And you know the story in Genesis 19, verse 30 to 38. Genesis 19, 30 to 38. After God delivered this man from Sodom and Gomorrah, Because he loved just a little bit of wine once in a while. The two daughters who were rotting conspired. and said, let's make him drunk. Nobody can make you drunk if you don't drink wine. So they made Papa drunk the first night. And he had sex with the first daughter. The second night, they make him drunk, and he has sex with the second daughter and destroy this generation after him. But then let me take the one that is most illustrative of them all, Moses, a great man of God. Moses, according to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Numbers 12, verse 3, the Bible describes him as the meekest man, the most gentle of all men. But Moses had only one little problem, one little problem. And that is, he gets angry once in a while. Not often, no, maybe once in 10 years. <laughs> I preached a sermon years ago called The Devil's Joker's Card. I wish we can still get the tape. But I'll tell you the story, very simple. 
I used to be a boxer. I may not look like one now, but I used to be one. And when the boxer is fighting, there are basically three kinds of blows that we use. Maybe they have improved on it now, I don't know. The first one is called the jab. And the idea of the jab is that you, you keep pointing, trying to hit the head of your opponent. And as you are trying to hit the head, he's pulling his head back to dodge the blow. And as he's dodging to, to dodge the blow, he will be pushing his stomach towards you. Now there's something in the middle of your stomach that they call the solar plexus. When you hit a man in the solar plexus, whether he likes it or not, he must bend double. So you are jabbing, he's dodging his head, and pushing his stomach towards you, and at the appropriate time, you go for the solar plexus, you hit him hard in the solar plexus, and he bends his head towards you. And when he bends his head towards you, before he can straighten up, you give him what we call the uppercut. It is a blow that doesn't travel far, and has all your strength behind it, and lands under the jaw. He throws the fellow back and lands him on the floor. And if it connects properly, that might be the end of the fight. And I'm sure you are wondering what has boxing got to do with this? What, the bo what boxing has got to do with this is that the devil is a world champion. Now I'll show you the moment. Because your life must change. <laughs> now, when you want to fight a champion, the first thing you want to find out about the champion is, has he been wounded before? Because almost invariably, before you become a champion, Somebody had hit you in the head, probably just above the eye, caused a wound in one of the previous fights. And the wound has healed. But the scar remains. So when you want to fight a champion, 
who is stronger than you. All you want to do is hit him at the sky so that he can break open again. If he does, blood will cover his eyes and the referee will stop the fight. And you are the winner. Whenever the devil wants to bring down a champion, he looks for that single weakness in the person. And he keeps on aiming at that point. Aiming at that point. Aiming at that point. Until he lands his blow. I will take Moses as my illustration. Moses was a gentleman. He doesn't get angry easily. Maybe once in 40 years. But that temper is there. <laughs> Deep down. And the devil discovered this one in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. Exodus 2, 11 to 12. Moses went out, saw an Egyptian beating an Israeli. He could have beaten up that fellow, but instead he killed him. Because the fire, the temper in him flared up. And before you knew what was happening, he has killed somebody. And the devil took note. Uh, this man can get angry suddenly and do what he shouldn't do. So he took note. More than 40 years later, let me tell you one thing, brethren, the devil can be very patient. He won't catch you in Jesus' name. <laughs> it is so that he will not catch you. That's why I'm spending time describing this thing to you. As soon as the devil knew this is this man's weight, he didn't bother him when he was uh, away in uh, exile because it was of no use to anybody. But the moment he began to lead the children of Israel to the promised land, the devil came. Exodus 14, verse 10 to 14. Exodus 14, verse 10 to 14. When the children of Israel looked back and they saw the army of Pharaoh coming, they said, ah, Moses, we told you to leave us in Egypt. Now you brought us to the wilderness to die. Now that's a lie. They didn't tell Moses to leave them in Egypt. They wanted to be free. But that's a jab of the devil. Moses dodged. He refused to be angry. Exodus 15, verse 22 to 24. Exodus 15, 22 to 24. When they got to Marah, Hey, Moses, 
Look at you. You have brought us here to kill us with thirst. We told you to leave us in Egypt. Moses dodged the blow. The devil was smiling. Exodus 16, verse 1 to 3. Exodus 16, verse 1 to 3. Hey, Moses, we are dying of hunger. There's no food for us. We remember when we were in Egypt. We have plenty to eat. Fish and uh, melon and this and that. Moses knew they were lying. They are the one who cried to God. They said they wanted to be free. But he dodged the blow. Exodus 17, verse 1 to 7. Exodus 17, 1 to 7. When there was no water to drink again, they came against Moses again. You, this Moses, we didn't want to leave Egypt. You are... And Moses said in verse 2, Aha, aha. Why are you chiding with me? The devil said, Good. Blow number one landed. He's now beginning to respond. <laughs> I know I will get you. Exodus 32, verse 15 to 20. Exodus 32, verse 15 to 20. Moses had gone to collect the Ten Commandments. By the time he returned, the children of Israel were already worshipping an idol. When he came and saw them worshipping an idol, oh, the fire in him burnt up. As they used to say where I come from, what should not shake in his belly shook. And he took the true tablets of commandments and smashed them. It was not the tablet who offended him. <laughs> the devil said, Good, I told you I will get you. I pray for you, brethren, the devil will not get you. Numbers 11. Verse 10 to 15. Numbers 11. Verse 10 to 15. When the children of Israel again began to say, eh, every day, manna, 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 manna in the morning, manna in the afternoon, manna in the evening, can't we get something else? Moses turned on God. And said, God, what, what, what's happening? Why are you doing this to me? Am I the father of these people? When I, the devil said, good. I know one day you will fight against your supporter. Your anger will boil up. I know it's down there. Of course, you know the rest of the story. By the time we got to Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 to 13, Numbers 20, verse 2 to 13, the people murmured again, there's no water. Moses went to God. God, these people are murmuring again. God said, all right, go to the rock, speak to the rock. It will bring forth water. But the anger 
came up again and he began to speak you stiff naked people you stubborn people must I bring you water out of the rock and he forgot what God said took the rod and hit the rock once twice of course he didn't know that the rock was Jesus Christ he hit him on the head twice and the devil said I got you because the Almighty God there said Moses you will not reach the land Moses gentle Moses only one little contamination anger after 40 years of ministry he failed you won't fail in Jesus name I've told this story before a hunter went to hunt and killed a big leopard and then discovered that the leopard had a small baby very little baby leopard oh little leopard you know harmless little thing so he, he took it home when the chief saw the little leper come and say, ah, what are you bringing leper to do in our village? Oh, it's a little leper, harmless. Let's kill it. No, 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 no. This little thing can't harm anybody. So, the little leper began to grow. Playing with children everywhere because it's just a little leper. And he kept growing so playful that the son of the hunter can even sit on his back and ride it around. And one day, the little leopard that has become a big leopard, and the son of the hunter was riding on his back towards the village stream. And the boy fell and bruised his leg on the thorn bush and blood began to flow and the leopard licked the blood and the thing in the leopard that makes a leopard a leopard rose up at the taste of blood and the first victim was the son of the hunter. Listen to me, children of God. If you don't kill that little leopard in your life, it will kill you. That little contamination, that little anger, that little love for something that is not of God. You don't kill it now. It will kill you because the little leopard will become a, a big leopard and the big leopard will kill.
then we say about, when we talk about purity. It could also mean that contamination has been removed. When contamination has been re removed from somebody or something, we say the thing has been purified, has been made pure. In Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 26, Ezekiel 36, verse 24 to 26, the Almighty God said, I will select you from among the heathens. Pick you out, one by one, from among the heathens. Then I will wash you so that you can be clean. Then I will go deep inside you and take that stony heart out of you that contamination that is inside, I will dig it out and give you a heart of flesh. I will select you, bring you together to a convention to hear the word. I will wash you with my blood to make you clean. I will then go inside and dig out that hidden contaminant that is in you so that you can become pure. Take an example. And I will soon be close because you need to pray. Take Peter. Peter was one of the people called by the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 19. Mark 3, 13 to 19. Jesus went to the mountain top and began to call those he liked to himself. And Peter was number one among the people he called. But Peter had a problem. One little problem. He was always afraid. That's his problem. He was uh, almost a coward. That is why, and the devil discovered that one. I, I don't have the time to go into the details, but the devil discovered that one. On the day Peter said to Jesus, if you are the one walking on water, ask me to come. And the Lord said, come. And he jumped out of the boat, and he so began to walk towards the Lord. But when he saw this, the wind boisterous, Peter, what are you doing? He began to sink. He cried to the Lord, the Lord rescued him. But the devil said, oh, <laughs> Peter, that's your weakness. I catch you. That's why on the day they arrested Jesus, when they said, 
Peter, you are one of the disciples. He said, me? No. I don't know him. The devil brought the second fellow. We know. He said, no, no, no. I don't know him at all. The devil brought the third fellow. He said, I swear. I don't know him. The devil said, I got you, boy. The devil will never get to you. But the Lord said, uh, Peter, I selected you. Yeah, three times you denied me, but I forgive you. But that fear is still in you. Let's do something about it. And he purified him by fire. On the day of Pentecost, when the fire fell, he sat on the head of Peter and burnt fear out of him. That's why later on, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Acts 4, 13, the Bible said, when they beheld the boldness of Peter, the man who used to be afraid, when they saw his boldness, is this man has been with Jesus. The contamination was removed by the fire of the Holy Spirit. One of the major characteristics of fire is that it can purify. But there are two kinds of fires that can purify. One is the fire of affliction, problems, real big problems can be used by God to purify. For example, Job, Job chapter 30 verse 1, Job 30 verse 1, because of the prosperity of Job, because everything was good, he was a proud man. He had that problem, that contamination called pride. The day I read Job chapter 30 verse 1, I couldn't believe it. Job said there are some people's fathers that are inferior to his dogs. I couldn't believe that could come out of the mouth of Job. Where was there? When he lost everything, he now discovered that <laughs> if you are not humble, willingly, God has a way of making you humble, compulsorily. People have asked me, why are you saying yes sir, yes sir to everybody? Yes ma, yes ma to everybody. I wasn't like that before. I was one of the proudest person you have ever met in your life. Even though I was poor and had nothing. As long as you are not the one feeding me. So what's the problem? In those days, when I enter into a gathering, the way I will look at all of you seated there, I will show you by my look that I don't care. 
I am superior to you. God taught me a lesson that settled the issue of pride in my life forever. I'll share that with you, ask you a question, and we will pray. When I was born again as a young Christian, one of the greatest blessings I received from God right from the beginning was the ability to hear Him. Before I leave my home in Surulere, God will tell me which route to take to get to University of Lagos. Turn right here, turn left here, don't go in that way, there's a traffic jam there, this way, that, just like that. And I'm going to, going to church, this is the one who will preach, this is the sermon he's going to preach, this is the Bible passage you will use, these are the songs you will sing. Beautiful. And I became the interpreter for Papa, the general superintendent, because I was a lecturer in the university, academician. And all the other pastors left me alone to interpret for Papa. I was the general, general superintendent's interpreter, big man. Then one day, one of the pastors, for whatever reasons, came to me and said, you've been interpreting for me today. Ah, I was angry. Interpreter of the general superintendent? Interpreting for him? I interpreted quite all right. But if the man saw what was going on in me, he would have stopped his sermon quickly. <laughs> After the sermon, as I was going to my car, I heard God say clearly, so you are not too big to interpret for my servant. That was the last time I heard from him, and everything became silent. And as soon as the devil discovered that I was no longer hearing from God, oh God, he tormented me. The characteristics of fire is that it can purify. But there are two kinds of fires that can purify. One is the fire of affliction, problems. Real big problems can be used by God to purify. For example, Job. Job chapter 30 verse 1. Job 30 verse 1, because of the prosperity of Job, because everything was good, he was a proud man. He had that problem, that contamination called pride. The day I read Job chapter 30 verse 1, I couldn't believe it. 
Job said there are some people's fathers that are inferior to his dogs. I couldn't believe that could come out of the mouth of Job. But it was there. When he lost everything, he now discovered that <laughs> if you are not humble, willingly, God has a way of making you humble compulsorily. People have asked me, why are you saying yes sir, yes sir to everybody? Yes ma, yes ma to everybody. I wasn't like that before. I was one of the proudest person you have ever met in your life. Even though I was poor and had nothing. As long as you are not the one feeding me. So what's the problem? In those days when I enter into a gathering, the way I will look at all of you seated there, I will show you by my look that I don't care. I'm superior to you. God taught me a lesson that settled the issue of pride in my life forever. I'll share that with you. Ask me a question and we will pray. When I was born again as a young Christian, one of the greatest blessings I received from God right from the beginning was the ability to hear Him. Before I leave my home in Surulere, God will tell me which route to take to get to University of Lagos. Turn right here, turn left here, don't go in that way, there's a traffic jam there, this way, that way. Just like that. And I'm going to go to church. This is the one who will preach. This is the sermon he's going to preach. This is the Bible passage you will use. These are the songs you will sing. Beautiful. And I became the interpreter for Papa, the general superintendent, because I was a lecturer in the university, academician. And all the other pastors left me alone to interpret for Papa. It was the general, general superintendent's interpreter, big man. Then one day, one of the pastors, for whatever reasons, came to me and said, you've been interpreting for me today. I was angry. Who does he think he is? Me, the interpreter of the general superintendent, interpreting for him. I interpreted quite all right. But if the man saw what was going on in me, he would have stopped his sermon quickly. <laughs> After the sermon, as I was going to my car, I heard God say clearly, so you are not too big to interpret for my servant. 
That was the last time I heard from him. And everything became silent. And as soon as the devil discovered that I was no longer hearing from God, oh God, he tormented me. I prayed. I wept. I cried to God. I fasted. God, forgive me. I will interpret for anybody. Have mercy on me. Heaven uh, was silent. And I'm telling you, it's better never to have heard from God than to have been hearing from Him and not hear from Him anymore. I pray for every one of you here, God will not leave you alone. It's a terrible time. In desperation, I cried to him. I said, okay, God, i make a covenant with you. If I'm going to offend you tomorrow, take me away today. A covenant stands till today. So when you see me say yes, sir, to the driver, yes, ma, to the cleaner, yes, sir, to the messenger, fire, burnt pride out of me. Which one do you want? The fire of affliction or the fire of the Holy Spirit? Because if God loves you, He will have to purify you because only those who are pure in heart will see God. Let's stand on our feet.